our other scripture text today comes from the prophet Amos in chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate I despise your festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We hear the voice of God through these words. Let's do a little experiment. You close your eyes if you want. Take just a minute and imagine the most awful smell you have ever smelled. Now take a minute and imagine the most awful noise you have ever heard. I'll take a minute and imagine the most awful thing you have ever seen or felt. That's what insincere worship is like to God. When we lived in Virginia, I pastored a rural community and I worked hard to get to know some of the other leaders in the town and in the county. It wasn't long after I arrived as the pastor of one church that the school district hired a new superintendent. I went to the school board office one afternoon and met with the new superintendent and expressed that our church desired to be a good partner in the community and I asked this individual if there was anything that I could pray for for him. And he was pretty surprised by that. And he told me a few things he was struggling with. And then we prayed right there in his office. And just a few months later, a beloved math teacher at the local high school who had a mental health crisis was killed by a police officer in a police-involved shooting in Richmond. Many students found out the news of this shooting by seeing it on the evening news. Instead of a taser or receiving mental health care at his own point of crisis, Marcus David Peters caught two bullets in the chest, and he died laying on the pavement while people were standing there not rendering aid. My phone rings about 9.30 that night, and the caller ID said school board office. The superintendent's secretary had called and said my name was on a list of potential counselors, and she asked if I could be present the next day to provide counseling and care for the students in the high school, and of course 
I said yes. And when I showed up at the library the next day, I found I was the only pastor present with a team of seven other crisis counselors from various state agencies. For the next two days, I sat in that high school library listening to dozens of teens as they conveyed their grief and even outrage over the killing of their teacher. Other students came to me for a listening ear or counseling because they were upset that so much scrutiny was on law enforcement because their own parents were officers and arguably good people. Often when gun violence is in the news, I reflect on that day and how different the lived experiences were for so many of the students. How they viewed the tragedy through the lens of their own upbringing and even their own faith communities. I'll be honest, words for that Sunday in the pulpit were hard to come by. When the pain and the shock felt thick like morning fog on a lake. In the texts we read today, we are reminded that God desires all people to become people of peace. And that when we worship God, even faithfully, but fail to do the work of justice, it brings God no pleasure. I've read through this Amos passage differently over the years. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you read the same passage and and the way I read it 10 years ago is not the same way I read it today. I remember quipping once that I hated mushrooms on my pizza and so I wonder how much more God hated insincere worship. But at this point in my life, I don't hate mushrooms on my pizza. I don't quite love them, but I don't hate them. We change. The Hebrew word translated here as hate is sane, and it appears 146 times in the Hebrew scriptures, almost always translated as hate. And I found myself this week reflecting, maybe for the first time, on the notion that God is love. I've been more drawn to the notion of God as pure love, as my views of grace and salvation have expanded through the years. In Scripture, we're told repeatedly that God is love, yet here we're told this is what God hates. And so I have questions. Can perfect and unending love hate anything? It seems to me like a great paradox. And as I've reflected, I have asked myself, how angry is love allowed to get when justice or injustice has occurred? Should true love get angry when injustice has occurred? And and just how angry should love get when injustice has occurred? And what if those who are claiming to serve God and love and represent that love are found to be imposters? What if people, religious people in particular, want all of the benefits of extravagant love but aren't willing to sacrifice anything precious to themselves in order to extend it to others? 
These are the questions raised in Amos and Isaiah, who were contemporaries. They lived at the exact same time. One was a prophet in the northern kingdom, and the other was a prophet in what was called the southern kingdom, when Israel was divided into two different countries. It's amazing how both prophets in competing political contexts speak to the same injustices, the same hypocrisy in public and religious life. They both speak against taking bribes for personal gain and to stay in power. They both speak against making idols out of tools of war. They both speak against trusting in human-made weapons for our ultimate sense of security, and they both speak against pushing aside the poor and the needy. Just before the passage that Joyce read today, Isaiah chapter 1 reads, When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies of iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove your evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphaned. Plead for the widow. Immediately, after God calls the people to beat their weapons into farm equipment. Amos, after a similar passage, calls for justice like a never-ending stream. When the Lord speaks in Amos, Yahweh says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. The final Judgment Day at the end of time was often referred to in those days as the Day of the Lord. People would often appeal to the Day of the Lord when speaking words of judgment against their enemies. But God, like God often does, turns the tables and says, you have no idea what you're asking for. You're naive to think that my justice doesn't apply to you. These mass shootings, in a matter of days, three different ones, two motivated by racial hatred, one that impacted children and teachers in a school, a family connected to our own church lost a little one in Uvalde. And our hearts break. This past Wednesday marked two years since the killing of George Floyd, a 30-year cover-up of sexual abuse in a major Protestant denomination came to light this week. Pride Month begins on Tuesday, and the struggle for equality and dignity continues. Tomorrow, 
is Memorial Day. A day when our country remembers and honors those who have died in military service. The first Memorial Day was in the 1800s after the Civil War and after World War II, President Truman issued a proclamation stating that moving forward, Memorial Day would not only be a day to honor and remember those who died in war, but a day to serve as, quote, a national day of prayer for permanent peace. What would permanent peace take? What would it require? Our service this morning began at 10 a.m. Central Time. Exactly one hour after the national, quote, prayer breakfast at the NRA convention in Houston concluded. A prayer breakfast where last year a speaker ripped open his button-down shirt to reveal a t-shirt that said, Jesus loves me and my guns, which garnered a standing ovation at a prayer breakfast. What if spiritualized language like offering thoughts and prayers isn't enough, especially from politicians who have the power to do something. Of course, it is right to pray. Don't hear me saying it's not right to pray. But God also requires that we do justice. The words of Ecclesiastes seem really true to me on weeks like this past week where the author at the very beginning says, everything is meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all been done before. It's all been said before. And everything just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And it's madness. And so I've asked myself this week, what are the impact of my own prayers? What good does it do? I believe with all my heart that God is already completely present with those who mourn. Completely present with those who grieve. So the question I ask myself is, do my prayers somehow summon God's spirit to be closer than God already is? I believe that God's heart breaks at our national idolatry. Do my prayers change the hearts of politicians with hardened hearts and fattened wallets? Gandhi said it's better to pray in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Svorty Kierkegaard said the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Words are indeed hard to come by some weeks. But I do know this. When injustice is rampant and religious people fail to act, God takes no pleasure in performative worship. 
what are we to do when God desires justice to flow like a mighty river? And it seems like so many people of faith have built up a dam. I certainly pray for God to comfort the afflicted and the grieving. But I'm also certain, maybe more than ever, that my own prayers do not make God more loving or more comforting or more compassionate toward those who grieve. My prayers might, however, change me enough to do something different. Because something different has to happen. Amen.